Okay, great. Um, if if I if you're making noise, I'll, I'm going to mute you. So either mute yourself or don't make noise. <laughs> okay. So we are on the end of chapter eighteen. Um, and in if you're following along in this book, we're on page one ninety four. It's the book of Proverbs by King Solomon. Welcome, Lisa. Um, and we are on verse 23. Okay, verse 23. And again, we're studying in the memory of Chaim Hertz ben Avraham. Okay, so here's the Hebrew. The poor man utters entreaties, but the rich man answers with impudence. Okay, so it's actually very interesting. The word azut, ayin, zayin, vavtaf means impudence or arrogance. The word gaza is actually from the Hebrew word aza. Aza starts with an ayin, which is really supposed to be a guttural sound. Um, I mentioned this in my partial class, the Sephardim, who actually have a better grasp on how to pronounce the Hebrew letters accurately, um, would pronounce aza like a gaza. Like it's a guttural. That's why in English it's with a G, Gaza. So the word Aza or Gaza literally translates to arrogance. It's pretty crazy. Okay. So what are we saying here? The poor man utters entreaties, but the rich man answers with impudence. So the, the commentary is trying to explain that, you know, whether a person has money or doesn't have money should not make them arrogant. Okay, because a person doesn't have money because they're so brilliant. We know that there are very brilliant people who do not make a lot of money. And there are people who, I mean, by all accounts, shouldn't be successful and they are, right? So if we understand that everything that we have or don't have is because that's what God wants us to have or not have, then that will help us, that will help remove us from the arrogance that some people have because they attribute their successes to themselves. So the commentary says, this should rather be rendered when a poor man utters entreaties and begs for help, the rich man should answer his own impudence and subdue it. So meaning when a poor person has entreaties, meaning that he's asking the rich person for help, right? And by the way, we're not talking here only about finances. We're also talking about, you know, there, there's many ways that a person could possibly be needy. Sometimes a person has a lot of money, but they're needy in their health or in their mental fitness or in their social life. Um, there's many different ways that a person might need help. And that if a person is impoverished in a certain area and they ask a person who has the ability to help, then that person, the rich person, should answer his own impudence, meaning the meaning the rich man answers with impudence. What is this impudence? It's this arrogance where you're saying, what? Why are you asking me for help? Go help yourself. Go figure it out. I figured it out. You figure it out, right? Go, you know, make yourself a life for yourself. Don't ask me for help. I remember once one of my kids, when they were very little, they were learning how to read. And this, this particular child happened to have been a very good reader at a young age. And she was getting very impatient because some other kids in the class did not, you know, grasp it as quickly as she did. And the teacher would go around and different kids would read and she had a hard time 
staying patient with the kids who had a harder time. And she would come home from school and say, like, it's so boring. It takes the kids a long time to read. So I said to her, you know, you are very blessed because Hashem made it easy for you to read. And other kids, Hashem did not make it easy for them to read. And then I said to her, there are certain things that are easy for other kids that are hard for you. You know, I don't like to say you're good at this. You're good at that. Even though sometimes I do use that language. I prefer to say this comes easily to you and this is harder for you. Right. And that if you are the one who has it easy in this area, whether Hashem decided to bless you with intelligence or health or wealth or friends or personal success or good looks, or great kids, or whatever, fill in the blank, right? You should look at it like you're, you've are you been blessed with richness. And a rich person in whatever area they are rich should never become impudent. They should never become arrogant. And when that arrogant voice rises up and says, why is everybody else relying on me to help? I don't feel like helping everybody else. This rich man should answer his own impudence and subdue it meaning answer back to that arrogant voice, right? Even if arrogant by nature, let him control himself and grant the poor man his entreaty. So when you hear that voice in your head, somebody's asking you for help and you don't feel like helping them, right? And you have this arrogant voice in your head that says, why should you help them? Let them figure it out, right? By the way, which is sometimes the right thing for that person to figure it out, okay? But the arrogance here is what we're focusing on, right? Hi, Debbie. So when you hear that arrogant voice rise up, you should subdue the arrogant voice and say, hey, hey, buddy, reality check. You didn't have it easy in this area because you're the most virtuous person on the planet. Hashem decided to bless you in this area. So where is this arrogance coming from? And to whatever degree you decide is positive or constructive or helpful or whatever way that you can help this person, you should help this person. So pay attention to that arrogant, arrogant voice in your head whenever it does rise up and answer back to it and subdue it. One of the things that I have noticed in taking many groups of women to Israel is that sometimes when a woman has gone to Israel and been involved in Jewish growth and Torah study and all of this stuff, it can be hard. And oh, hi, Avril. And I want to actually... I want to actually read a quote about this by one of the Muslim masters, and I wish I could remember who it was, where he said that judgmentalism is a side effect of spiritual growth. And I thought that was so fascinating <laughs> because what happens when we grow, right, is we become richly blessed with spiritual connection. And it's very easy to go home and get judgmental about the other people in your life who are not similarly pursuing these interests, right? And to say, hey, I figured it out. You should figure it out too. Hey, I did the Israel thing. You should do it too. Hey, I'm studying Torah. What are you doing in your spare time, buddy? <laughs> so we have to be cognizant of the fact that that arrogant voice, that judgmentalism, it's, it's, it's normal. It's a side effect of spiritual growth. And by the way, it's a side effect of any growth. The same thing happens if a person decides to go on like a physical health kick, you know, and eat super healthy foods or go on this, you know, fitness regime and whatever it may be. And then it's easy for them to look around at other people and be like, why aren't you doing this too? Right. 
in any way that we grow, it's easy for us to get judgmental of people who have not similarly grown. But again, we have to understand, yes, we have to be proud of our efforts. There's no question about that. But we also have to remember that any area in which we succeed is a blessing from Hashem. How did you get connected to that spiritual growth? Hashem is the one who connected the dots for you. Hashem is the one who introduced you to those people or to those opportunities or connected you to those influences. So you're going to go get arrogant, like, oh, it's all me. It's not all you. It's Hashem offering the opportunities and then 100% your effort making good on those opportunities, right? Whichever the case, when you hear that arrogant, judgmental voice starting to rise in your head, answer back that arrogance and say, whoa, whoa, stop. That's not what it's about. And if someone else needs help and I am able to help them and it's not harmful for me to help them, then it's my job to help them. Okay. Thoughts or comments on 23? Roche, am I muted? You're good. We can hear you. I don't know if this sounds arrogant, so I, I hesitate to even say this, but my husband's business is uh, as a criminal defense attorney, and I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, how can your husband represent fill in the blank, alleged rapist, gang members, you know, murderers, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, don't have like a godly God, except that he is not God and he is not the judge. And that's his job to make sure that the system is supporting these people, even though they might be heinous and it's not up for us to judge. And, but for the grace of God, like were they raised in a terrible environment? I'm not excusing anything. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't go to, he has plenty of clients who go to prison for life, but I'm, you know, you have to understand why they joined the gang, understand why they're only selling drugs and they can't feel any way out because their grandparents sold drugs. They're great. They're just interesting um, perspective in the criminal defense world. Yeah. Um, like who are we to judge? even though it's all, you know, terrible behavior should be punished. Of course. Absolutely. Right. right. And we do live in the United States of America, which is a democracy. And part of right. our democratic system is that criminals have rights. In this right. Country. Right. So and we're innocent until proven guilty. So. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's got Very well. Hopefully it's not arrogant of me to share that. No, not at all. Okay. Anybody who says, I hope it's not arrogant of me to share this, but is probably doing okay. Okay. <laughs> because you're cognizant of it. <laughs> Usually it's the people who are not cognizant of it that you got to be careful around. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you, Sherry, for sharing that. Any other thoughts or comments on 23? Uh, Okie doke. 24. And this is the final verse in our chapter, 18. A man has friends pretending friendship, but there is a true friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is very interesting. The word Ishreim, a man of friends, a man has friends. The verb here, it means pretending friendship. That's how it's translated here. This word Lehit, the, the, the prefix lehit means that it's a reflexive verb. It's something that you do to yourself, okay? 
So, for example, the word to pray in Hebrew is lehit palel. The word palel means to judge. Technically, the Hebrew word for praying is to judge yourself. Why? Because when you engage in prayer, you're standing before God and you see, if you're praying correctly, you're seeing yourself the way you really are. And that is a journey of self-reflection. It's a journey of self-judgment. You know, so it's a very interesting thing. So this word, what it means is, it means to befriend yourself. That's what it really means. That's why it's translated as pretending friendship. It means that you're making it like you're friends for somebody else, but really you're just being a friend to yourself, which is so interesting because, you know, as, as you guys probably know by now, I have a daughter in eighth grade. And when you take female plus middle school, okay, you get like friend drama on steroids. <laughs> and um, we were just talking yesterday about friendships and we were talking about how some girls are friends with other people just for their own ends, right? Hi, Susan. Meaning they are pretending to be your friend, but really they're only doing what's good for themselves. This friendship is a selfish endeavor. I like you because of what you can do for me socially. I like you because you're a cool person to hang out with. I like you because you're, you're going to give me a ride to the mall and you're going to invite me to your, you know, this or that. So I'm not friends because of you. I'm friends to benefit myself. So it's so fascinating when you dig into the Hebrew and you really like analyze what does that verb mean? It's translated as pretending friendship, but literally it means I'm only friends with myself right? So that's so interesting. So, okay. So what is this verse telling us? Again, the, the English, a man has friends pretending friendship, but there is a true friend who sticks closer than a brother. So this is such a fascinating commentary on friendship. And these little um, nuggets are sort of sprinkled throughout this book, right? This is, this one is a gem. I mean, they're all a gem, but this one is a special gem. It's talking about the difference between having many friends and just having a couple of true friends, okay? Which is so interesting, like in the in the world of social media that we live in, right? You can have 5,000 friends on Facebook. I've had people call me to say, oh, I see your Facebook friends with so-and-so. They just applied for a job. And I'm like, I have absolutely no idea who they are. Like zero. I don't even recognize that name. They're like, oh, but your Facebook friends. I'm like, sorry can't help you. <laughs> right. So what do we mean? Here's the commentary. One who cultivates many friends has no true friend for love is a special rare feeling that becomes dissipated when widespread. Now, by the way, this is a, a fact of human reality. The human mind can only care about so many people. There was a number thrown out there, Lumbar's number or something like that. And that number was disputed and it was a different number. It's 100 people. It's 200. People. I don't know. It doesn't matter what the number is. The point is we all have a capacity for how many people we can actually care about. And this is part of the reason why our world of nonstop news and media and information can be so damaging. Because if you hear about enough deaths and terror attacks and car accidents and tsunamis and earthquakes 
It's not possible for you to have the human capacity to care about that many people for that sustained length of time. You just can't. You can't hold it. That's part of the reason why I will not watch, and some people do, and some people have other philosophies on this. I personally will not watch or read or look at anything graphic about the war. Because the last thing in the world I want is my sensitivity to get dulled. That would be a human crime. For me to be able to read something and just be callous about it, then who am I as a human being? I cannot become callous. And that's also why I, I posted something this morning on social media about how I only look at the news once a day. I mean, I'm on social media, so I see different things, but I only could like mindfully consume the news once a day. I go on my phone, I read the news for like 10 minutes and that's it. Because you become so desensitized. You can't possibly cry over every tragedy when you're learning about tragedies all day. So that's what this is saying too. You can't really have that many true friends, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the things I've read about this is like the litmus test is if you heard that somebody died, would you be not, not would you be sad? Cause we would be sad, but like a week later, two weeks later, would it still matter to you? There's a limited number of people that a human being can have in that category. And that that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that we're finite, we're finite human beings. So what King Solomon is trying to tell us is that the goal here is not to have a lot of friends. The goal is to have a few true friends that you're truly invested in and that you're truly connected with. And I, I love what he says here. I'm just going to read it again. Love is a special rare feeling that becomes dissipated when widespread. You can't love everybody to that degree. And let's face it, our time is limited. Our mental capacity is limited. Our bandwidth is limited. So if a person has many friends, popularity, he has pretended friendship, right? How real is that kind of widespread popularity? When people say, oh my gosh, I love this celebrity. I love that celebrity. What are you even saying? You don't even know that person. That's not love. That's worship. That's obsession. I don't know what that is, right? But real love, real friendship where you truly know another human being and you're vulnerable with that human being and they're vulnerable with you and you can trust one another and you support one another. That's rare. The goal is not to have a lot of those. The goal to, is to have a few of those. If one, if he has one friend, that one is closer than a brother for this is the nature of love that it creates bonds closer than ties of blood. That's why the end of the verse says there is a true friend who sticks closer than a brother, even though, of course, there are bonds of family and that person is your family member no matter what. But sometimes our family members are not close with us and sometimes they're not connected to us. And that's a shame. That person will always be our family member. Right. But it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the person that we're so closely bonded to or so connected to. Whereas friendships are the people that we choose. And that's why we should make sure to choose wisely and to choose carefully. Who are we investing that kind of time into? Make sure that it's the kind of person who really is going to fill your tank and be there for you and be that friendship and that connection, right? We don't have time for all this fake stuff. And I, 
Of course, we should be friendly with everybody. And the Torah says, love your neighbor as yourself. That means we need to be kind, respectful, polite, civil, blah, 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 to everybody, if we can, especially to a fellow Jew. But that real soul connection, like he says, like bonded closer than a brother, that's unique and that's special and that's rare. And let's make sure that we're choosing wisely when we decide who is going to be in that circle of trust who are we choosing and why? So, um, you know, it reminds me when you see these like videos of these Israeli guys, which apparently that's all my social media feed shows me these days is videos of Israeli people. Um, so there's sort of, I don't know if it's like a slang in Israel that one Israeli guy will call another Israeli guy, Achi, my brother, right? It's like, it's like we would say buddy, right? Hey, buddy. But they say, eh, my brother, that's like the term of endearment for one another. It's so beautiful. You know, I love it. Um, cause that's what we're, that's what we're saying. Like, this is the family that you choose for yourself. So that's verse 24, the end of chapter 18. Any thoughts or comments on that? The world definitely does not operate that way. It's just funny to think about, you know, with obviously social media. And it's too bad that the younger generation is so obsessed with, you know, the friends and the, you know, maybe lack of depth. But on a totally another note, I got a note from somebody of thanking me for something from Israel. And it said my brother. And now it makes more sense. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I know sometimes I see these translations, like, you know, how like social media will translate something for you. And because I know Hebrew, I find it so funny. Like some of the translations are so weird, <laughs> but that's funny. That's interesting. Um, yeah. You know what? The world really doesn't operate this way, but I'm finding something very interesting. I was talking to a woman yesterday and she was telling me that her granddaughter is in college. I forgot where. And she had just started in a new place this year and she had made a couple of girlfriends and it was great and da da da. And then she hears that three of her girlfriends are going to a pro Palestinian rally. And she says to them, did you guys know that I'm Jewish? And they're like, yeah, we know that you're Jewish. Um, but you know, we really like believe in the Palestinian cause. And she's, she's like, these are not my people. Like these are not people that I'm going to feel like are my soul sisters. I, I don't want to invest time in, into these. These were newer relationships. It's not like they had had a longstanding previous connection, you know? And then she was sitting in the library at school before this was before the Israeli rally in Washington, D.C. And she heard another girl saying, I really want to go to the rally in D.C., but I don't know who to go with. And she's like, what did you say? <laughs> she's like, I'll go with you. And now these two girls are best friends. You know, that, that I'm finding that uh, not that there's anything wrong with being friends with someone who's not Jewish. Amazing. We need more bonds and we need more bridges and all of this. But I, I'm finding that more and more Jews, especially kids, because on college campuses, these things are so polarizing right now, that when they're seeking their tribe, like who are my people, my people who I feel connected to and safe with. And that I can be totally, totally fully me with and fully vulnerable with, they're gravitating towards the other Jewish kids. That's what they're looking for. So interesting. You know, 
Okay, any other thoughts or comments on 24? Stacy. So, and just like what you said, something quick, my daughter over the summer worked at her college. She goes to Rutgers in New Jersey and she became best friends with a young, I call her a little girl, but she's not, she's a young lady. She's a Palestinian young lady. And I believe that her family's from the West Bank because she was worried about her family over the summer when whatever was happening there. And um, this young lady, Nora went to Samantha, my daughter, and she said, okay, what do you, this is before now, what do you think about what's going on? And my daughter said to her, I like you and you're my friend. And they can't tell, nobody could tell us that we can't be friends. And Nora said, right. So when all of this happened, Sam said to me, my daughter, she said, should I reach out to her? I said, you should do what you want. And so she chose not to reach out. Nora reached out to her a few days ago. They're not discussing anything. They are friends. They talk. Samantha said, I'm so happy to hear from you. Nora, and like, they were just nice to each They're just being nice to each other because- that's beautiful. I just are, and I'm so proud of her. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that I'm not saying anything because what I want to say is please don't go to her house. And that's right. what I want to say. And I get that. I get that too. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah. I missed for a second because I had a phone call, but my daughter was in Portugal with, with all this going on, and she was with three other friends. And when they came back, she found out that not the two of them never said a word to her about what's going on. They all know she's Jewish. In fact, they all want to be Jewish. But they come to all her Shabbos meals. And uh, the best friend of hers it, um, is, a, is a Palestinian supporter and dumped her. And the other two dumped her as well. They just dumped her after being best friends and traveling together. Wow. Never heard from them again. I think that that is not uncommon where people are seeing who their friends really are in this conflict. Like what you're describing, Stacey, is beautiful. And I think it's rare. I agree. People can continue to be friends despite this conflict, um, you know, and can even empathize with each other. I have family in Israel that I'm scared about. I have family in the West Bank that I'm scared about. And maybe we can, you know, even come together over that great, you know, but I think what people are seeing, and I'm hearing from a lot of women who let's say work in mostly non-Jewish spaces. And they're like, all these people are my friends. I've been working with them for 10 years, 15 years. And now one of them has said a word of empathy or of care. And they're like, what, these are people I thought were my friends. Where are they now? You know, and it, like what you're describing, Sheila, it's very upsetting, but we're seeing it differently. All my clients, a lot of my clients are Muslim and Palestinian and Jordanian, and they're all showing support for us. They have been, really? I never posted anything personal on my Facebook page. It was all business. It is only about the conflict and the hostages right now. And they're all watching it. They're seeing my stories and they're coming to us and saying, we are so sorry this is happening. Well, that is beautiful. And I'm very gratified to hear that. And I also think that's rare. We actually put up signs from the Federation last night in front of our building, and we felt like we're going to get a backlash, and we have not had any backlash. Wow. Okay. That is a true friend. That mm -hmm. is a true friend. Or business, or they need construction equipment, one or the other. I don't know why yeah. they've done it. But. but, you know, my grandparents, who are Holocaust survivors and who grew up in Poland and Hungary, and they said the same thing. They said, our neighbors and friends who we thought were our friends, 
Well, when the Nazis marched into our town, they showed, they showed their true colors. And again, there are righteous Gentiles and they are commemorated at Yad Vashem, but that's the exception, not the rule. I thought it was funny for my daughter being friends with this one young lady who's, I keep saying that because it's very hard. I want to call her little girl. This <laughs> young lady who's Palestinian while she has other friends who did go the other way who are pro-Palestinian pro and pro-Hamas. And she just like, she's a, she won't even, she's chosen not to talk to, just not to go there because she feels like we have nothing to talk about. And those yeah. kids are not connected to the area. Hmm. Yeah. See, they if someone has family there, I totally get it. But if you have no connection to the area and you just decided you're anti-Israel. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I know some of these people who come on my Instagram and they're like spewing hate and they're like free Palestine. Don't you care about Palestine? And I go to their page and they like live in like Colorado. I'm like, what do you have to do with Palestine? Like no connection that I can tell, but whatever. I don't know anything about them. Just like they don't know anything about me. So whatever. But yeah, I think what we're seeing now is that life is short and I, I, we don't have time for fake friends and we're seeking out our true friends, our true connections. And whether it means that those people agree with us on all the issues or don't agree with us on all the issues, that's not even really the point. The point is, are you there for each other and are you connected to one another? You know, are you noticing the amount of Arabs and Muslims and Palestinians that are coming out against Hamas? No. Cindy. Yeah. All day today or yesterday, Facebook, the head of Hamas's son said, kill my father. I saved well, him. Well, the head of the head of Hamas's son has been a very, very active, you know, anti-Hamas mouthpiece for a long time. But he is a he is a true exception to the rule. No, there's people more and more they're coming out. You're seeing them these reels of these Good. people saying, get rid of them. They're they're killing us. We love our kids. Get rid of them. Good. Yes, may great. the truth emerge and may evil be destroyed. Amen. All right. We are going to move on. Chapter 19. Making nice progress on this book, you guys. Chapter 19. Oh, and I wanted to tell you guys, I finished my new book, which I'm very, very excited about. I submitted it to my publisher and he's extremely excited about it. He said, wow, this is going to be a long book. <laughs> I said, yes. I know. Um, so maybe by the time we're finished with this book, we can dive into my new book, which would be so exciting. Um, okay. Just wanted to share that with you guys. Okay. So here we are. Chapter 19, verse one. Tov rash holich betumo. Better is a poor man who walks in his steadfastness. Than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Okay, so when we say steadfastness, what are we talking about? The Hebrew word here is bitumo. Tum, which is the root word of that, right? Some of you may be familiar with that word from the four sons at the Passover Seder, right? We have a chacham, the wise man, the wise son. We have the rasha, the wicked son. We have the tum, the simple son, and the she'ina yodeh the one who does not know how to ask. So tum is translated as simple, but what it really means, a more accurate translation of that is wholesome. 
In fact, there is a mitzvah in the Torah, one of the 613, you shall be wholesome and steadfast with Hashem, your God. And that is an injunction not to worship other gods, other powers, other forces, like not to, it's written in the context of like, don't visit fortune tellers, don't, you know, don't go to these like energy healers or these, you know, non-Jewish practices, stay completely wholesome and faithful with Hashem, your God. There's one power in this world. There's one energy in this world, nothing else. So when we say bitumo, better is a poor man who works in his steadfastness, we're talking about like a wholesomeness, a, a simplicity, not a simplicity as a negative, but a simplicity as a positive, like a simple, straightforward faith. So better is this poor person who walks in his wholesomeness than one who is perverse in his lips, meaning deceitful. He speaks deceitfully and is a fool. Okay, so here's the commentary. It is better to have all the world see your poverty while you maintain inner integrity. So what does this mean? There are a lot of people who can't afford things but they don't want anyone to know that they can't afford it. So they put up pretenses and they buy things that they cannot afford. And they live a lifestyle that is based on falsehood because they are can't, they can't be straight and steadfast, right? In who they are. And to be able to say, that's, that's not in my budget. I can't afford that. Sorry, guys, I can't go to that you know, show or vacation or destination wedding. I just, I can't, I can't swing it right now. But a lot of people have a really hard time doing that. And then they built this house of cards to support something that's not real. So it is better to have all the world see your poverty while you maintain inner integrity without ever coming to grief, right? As opposed to somebody who has to put up this fake life and then it, it does all come crashing down one day and then there's going to be so much grief over that than to be foolishly dominated by crude, by crude passions, right? While making a show of moral wisdom, your lips hiding what is in your heart. So this whole verse is operating on two levels. There's a metaphor, and, and this is a very common technique throughout this book. There's a metaphor, and then there's the meaning, the meaning of the metaphor, but the metaphor is also true. Here's the metaphor. It's better if you can't afford something to be totally honest about what you can't afford and live a straightforward, wholesome life where your lifestyle matches your budget than to put on this whole show that is going to come that's deceptive and untrue that's going to come crashing down on you one day. Okay, that's the metaphor. And the metaphor in and of itself is also a lesson, right? It's a lesson on how to handle our finances, on how to handle our desires. You want certain things. You have to learn how to say no to yourself if you can't afford them. But there is a whole meaning to this metaphor. And this meaning of the metaphor is we're talking about moral wisdom. If a person is poor in their moral wisdom, right? They're not very wise. They're not very evolved spiritually. They just don't know certain things. It's better to admit it and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just not there yet. I, I haven't learned that. I don't understand that. I'm not familiar with that, right? Better for the whole world to see your poverty and to see that you're maybe a little spiritually malnourished, but you're being wholesome. You're being straight up with who you are. You're not pretending that you're anything that you're not, right? 
as opposed to being foolishly dominated by your crude passions while making a show of moral wisdom, as opposed to pretending that you're some spiritually refined human being, but really your inside behavior doesn't match that. So you're just going to end up, you're living a lie and you're going to end up getting found out one day. And then there's going to be a lot of grief, your lips hiding what is in your heart. So you're pretending that you're more than you are, and there is no happy ending to that story, okay? So that's how this teaching is, as many of the teachings here are operating on two levels. The metaphor is about money. The meaning of the metaphor is about moral wisdom, but on both levels, the teaching is true. If you don't have something, or you don't know something, or you simply aren't at whatever level, just be honest, just admit it right? Just say, I, I, I don't, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't know that. I don't understand that. I haven't been practicing that. I just be honest and that's okay. And then you're being completely above board about who you are, about what you know, about where you're at and that's it. And then, you know, we always try to grow and to improve, but don't try to pretend you ever have to be someone you're not, or, you, you know, there have been times where I've been embarrassed. There are certain things that people bring up to me and I'm like, I never heard of that. I, I never heard of that rabbi. I never heard of that teaching. I never heard of that concept, you know? And then I'm like, why am I embarrassed? Do I think that anybody knows the whole entire Torah, least of all me? No, of course not. So where's the shame in admitting that we're not a 100% Jew? Nobody is a 100% Jew. The shame is in pretending that you're something you're not. And that's what King Solomon is warning us against. Okay, thoughts, comments on verse one. Um, my husband was that person who always had to have an answer to everything. And over the years, you know, we've talked about it and he literally says it's like the best thing I could, the best gift I ever gave him was the ability to say, I don't know, let me find out. And it was so freeing to him. Um, so I hear you 1 million percent. Laura and I are really good at saying we don't know. <laughs> it is very liberating. It is very liberating. Any other thoughts, you guys, before we end today? There was um, this, um, hold on, let me put on the camera. There was a book we read years ago, my husband and I, when we were working together. And there was a book, it was called, I think it was called Getting Naked or Get Naked. And it was all about when that's, somebody- That's, that's a catchy title. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And it was, it was about being totally transparent that like when someone's coming to you and they're looking to hire you and they say something like, like, well, what about such and such? And you're like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> that that's um, the best way to be. And that people typically really appreciate it. Like our ego tells us, oh my gosh, we're not going to get the client because it looks like we don't know what we're doing or what we're talking about or something like that, or we're not the expert, but that usually people are like, oh, so refreshing. Like, I know that they'll be honest with me because they were able to say that. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. Amazing. Thank you, everyone. Oh, one more thing I wanted to mention before we close. Um, I'm doing group coaching for parents of young adults. Um, it's a 12-week, 12-session series. So if anybody wants to learn more about that, you know where to find me. Um, and meanwhile, have yourselves a wonderful day. And God willing, we should share good news and Shabbat Shalom. Amen. And thank you, everybody, for participating. Good job, Bye, guys. Good job, Bye-bye. Good job, Bye-bye. Good job. Bye-bye.